Support for Talking Schmidt is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, kids. It's the 4.0. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. We're going to give you 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code shout out at manscape.com. Just type in the code shout out and the rest is smooth sailing. Imagine shaving with a sleek, well-designed and optimized trimmer that makes shaving time your favorite time in the bathroom. I'll tell you this, I'm one of the first people to try the new 4.0 and I'm blown away by the performance. The craftsmanship and details on the 4.0 are next level. The fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. That's right, kids. Advanced skin safe technology. Now you can feel confident shaving those family jewels. Did I mention wireless charging? Men, if you've been shaving with the same nut trimmer on your face, you've been doing it wrong. No person wants to end up with pubes in their mouth. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code SHOUT OUT at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code SHOUT OUT. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Shout out. Head on over to your local shop and ask for Blood Wizard. If they're out, then you can tickety-tack on down to bloodwizard.com where you have all of your conjuring needs. Hello, everybody. With just four days left till the Olympic opening ceremonies, it seems whether or not skateboarding should or should not be there, we'll have to take a back seat to the big news headlines coming out of Japan. This morning, with the Olympics just over a week away, Tokyo is setting the wrong kind of record. Back in Tokyo, hundreds of athletes are now arriving each day. It's now clear that some of them will be carrying COVID. What we're seeing is what we expected to see, essentially. Pretty bummed about not being able to compete because I got COVID-19. More trouble for the Tokyo Olympics. Tennis star Coco Golf is out of the Olympics. A 17-year-old phenom announced she tested positive for COVID right before she was about to head to Tokyo. Female gymnast tested positive for COVID-19. Two players and a coach for the South African men's football team have the virus. About 60 COVID-19 infections have been linked to the games four days before the opening ceremony. The governor of Tokyo has told the BBC it would have been worse to cancel. And Olympic officials remain determined to continue with tradition in whatever form. Health leaders in Japan, they really want the games to be canceled. They've been saying this for months now because cases are rising. And the other issue these athletes have to contend with, intense heat. It's approaching 100 degrees here most days, which makes wearing a mask very uncomfortable for the athletes. The IOC's advice, drink more water. Oh, Danny boy, the pipes are coming. 
Boy, House of Pain, The Outsider's House, and you're listening to Talking Schmidt. And there's my alarm. Alexa, turn off the alarm. It's cool, like tonight is the night. Here we go again. Just give it the old cars turn. Our big dog's in. Schmitty. 96 times, Schmitty. Thanks, Schmitty. We on? Schmitty. Talking Schmidt. That's called going to the hospital, bitch. I can <laughs> shit my pants. Your Rolodex is fucking deep. It's about the one, the one, the one. Who is this guy thinks he's tough shit? What's up? We're tastemakers. Come on, Smitty, what the fuck? I'm here for Greg Smith. Yeah! I'm sure this never gets old, but just like the prodigal son, I've returned with another guest. This one definitely came to get down. Please welcome to the show, Danny Boy. You know what? I've heard that before, but not quite in that in, on a podcast. So, hats off. <laughs> hey, how's it going? You good? Yep. And I get coffeeed up. Coffee drinker, huh? Yeah, same. I got the fucking little extra fucking caffeine going right now. It's like my seventh shot. You're in uh, Oklahoma. I'm in Tulsa, Oklahoma, at the Mayo Hotel, where I currently live and have lived for the last oh three years since leaving California. Okay. Preemptively, yeah. We got in contact with one another through Keith Cochran. How, how did you and how did, how did you and Keith meet each other? I so yeah, shout out to Keith Cochran. He's one of my favorite people on the planet. It's been a while since I've seen him, and I you know what? It's funny because we met at an ASR trade show. I had never been to a trade show until I started going in the early '90s, and I went because I had a friend who did a brand called the uh, Fresh Jive, Rick Klotz, and I hung out with guys that hung out with him. And they did, uh, they did, uh, 
you know, they'd be in his photo shoots and whatnot, basically modeling his clothing. And he just, he was, he was smart, similar to, you know, Sean Stussy, where they were just catching kids at the right age that were really living the lifestyle, skating, surfing, uh, clubbing, whatever it is, and uh, just doing authentic, uh, you know, brand photo shoots. And so a lot of the kids that when I moved to Hollywood, a lot of the kids were friends with Rick Klotz. And I actually, ironically, didn't know him then, but we went to the same high school, me and Rick Klotz. And actually, he's the first guy, I'm just, this is all real time. He's the first guy I brought the, the Mickey's logo and said, listen, I need a House of Pain logo. And what I want to do is emulate this logo. Can you lay it out in, in Photoshop? Because nobody even had the, the computer to do that, except for Rick on our block, who had moved to Hollywood at that point as well. And uh, so when I started going to the trade shows, I ran into Keith through a mutual friend. I think he was dating a girl I knew back then. Um, and we just hit it off. He felt like a uh, long lost brother. He was in the, in, I'm sure still is, or maybe isn't, I don't know. He was in the skateboarding business and it had mm. been a while since I was actually on a skateboard at that point. Uh, grew up skating, coming from New York. Skateboarding was a, was a, a new concept to me when I got here to LA. And uh, I skated probably up until, around high school era. And then I was just so immersed in the music and, and nightlife culture that I just, just, there was no time for skating. And uh, Keith was really on that second wave, I guess, because it kind of had died out in the early nineties. I'm sure that, you know, people will disagree, but I'm saying it ain't what it is now in the nineties. No. It was, it was lean times. And he was one of those just lovable, likable characters uh that i hit it off with and uh he ended up sending me a few decks and a few you know he, he had i think venture trucks and think skateboards yep. and um he sent us you know he, he said yeah yeah i'll take care of you when when i when i get back home to san francisco i'll send you a box and i was like sure he will and uh sure sure as shit he, he sent a, he sent a few skateboards to me and uh it was just fast friends from there and then uh house of pain at that time wasn't even really like a it was a thing but it wasn't a thing we didn't know that we would ever make a, a record and that the record would actually sell and so when it did we went up to the, i think the first place that that jump around ever went um to number one was at what is it k-m-e-l K -M -E -L, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's so and, and it's ironic because we're made of new yorkers both me and everlast and we lethals from from latvia uh landed in new jersey and then in, in los angeles but what i'm saying is we we were you know native new yorkers who then transplanted to california but we were you know an la band and we went number one first in in san francisco second in new york and then third in los angeles so los angeles was like the last huh. major city to embrace us which was which is kind of ironic nevertheless we we would stay with keith at his house on his couch. I think we stayed up there the first time we went up to, to San Francisco. And then we, we used to go to Hunter's Point where his, where his company was. And I can assure you this, people may not know this, uh, in the 90s, if you got dropped off in Hunter's Point and you try to get a cab out of there, cabs are like, you where? They would not come anywhere near that place yeah. because of the crack and heroin epidemic. Uh, it was just, you just, you got stuck there if you went there, but there he was, you know, doing his thing. And uh, I really, my love of San Francisco comes from hanging out with, with Keith and him showing me around that town. I didn't have any real, you know, frame of mind. The only thing I knew about the, the San Francisco was the hate Ashbury, you know, Jimmy videos and, and hippie videos I would see. So my yeah. first real, like, in, in you know, introduction to San Francisco scene was through Keith Conkren. So I always love him. Uh, I always, you know, he's one of the, the handful of people you meet in your lifetime where you're like, they stick with you. And so whenever I see him, it's like, uh, 
it's like we never even the the time just disappears and we we lock in you know right where we left off so solid human and now another first impression from keith david cochran first impressions by keith cochran my first impression of danny boy was probably 30 years ago uh we were introduced from a mutual friend and my first impression was what a solid dude he was you don't meet a lot of people like that in your lifetime it's a small select group and uh he was just a super solid dude i'm stoked to have him as a friend and uh stay gold danny boy True or false, you guys drove around Pacifica together in an Acura sing and jump around before it was even released. True. And he probably <laughs> fired up a few of those shots up in the air to celebrate, uh, you know. That's what I liked about Keith. And I hope I, you know, like I know he's a grown ass man now and he's got family and all that stuff. But he he was like a he, he was like a I would say average size, good looking guy but he was built like the rest of the tough guys were like he was like he was he was a gentleman when needed to be and then he would get he can get he can flip mode real quick and reach under the seat and and, and, and let you know he's not to be fucked with and i love that about him because we were built the same way i'm i'm six foot six but you know i could be you know uh very cordial but make no mistake like if i don't like the way you're talking to me you're trying to run some hustle like you can get it quickly. And, and Keith always had that. I, I love that about him. He was like, he was like the greatest, you know, he is the greatest guy in the world, but like you cross that line, he, he's not, he's not having it. And so we were, he, again, he felt like a long lost brother. So absolutely. He was there from day one. He's one of the handful of people that like were there when it was still up in the, you know, we let, we, we had high hopes for all of our, 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 our endeavors, but we never thought in a million years, you know, that, that this, the same demo we're listening to in his act, there was a silver accurate too. Cause I remember, <laughs> I remember it was a trek, you know, you're going from San Francisco. He lived in like Pacifica. Yeah. So we'd have to drive. And I remember it being on like parallel to the water and then where he lived. And yeah, it was, those were good times, man. I look at those are some of the, this is before it gets like, business you know this is before it gets like serious this is before like you know we go through the stratosphere with the with with the first album but it also is the beginning of the end of the innocence you know that was just a couple of dudes trying to live their dreams day by day minute by minute Mm -hmm. uh you know authentic friendships uh you know that kind of stuff and then it gets to like business mode and you know protocols and and you know other things start to come into play so when i think back i mean i remember racing having a foot race with everlast on keith's block and <laughs> he beat me and there's and i was i was shocked because i'm i i back in the day I, you know i I'm a tall, lean, I'm gone. And I've been chased by many cops back in the day and always got away. And Everlast was actually faster than me, uh, you know, and we were competitive like that even back then. But I I just laugh. I mean, when's the last time you can say like you, you ran a a foot race. I mean, like with, with, with the homie back in the day that those days are long gone. And so I remember being in San Francisco fondly. I also remember right as everybody was bubbling, the records had just come out. Uh, we were in a corner unit. I think this kid Warren, he had Keith had friends that lived close to the hate Ashbury, like really close. And they had a corner unit and it, and it, it almost had like what, what looks like a shit, like a watchtower at a prison or something. It was just like a rounded. It was it was an apartment building, first floor. 
with a kitchen like rotundra, if you, I don't even know if that's a word. And <laughs> he was playing breakbeats and Be Real started freestyling, Everlast started freestyling. I started rhyming. We were just basically rhyming records that you hadn't heard out yet. And yeah. we had like, you know, 250 people in the street wilding out at the corner, you know. Uh, San Francisco was live at that time, man. I think that's before like you guys had a Stussy store up there. Maybe he had just got there at that point. Maybe uh. it had been there for a couple of years prior to that, but it was still like the skate scene was just starting to find its way back. It was just, it was lovely times, man. Unlike, mm. uh, you know, things of today, those days are long gone, but I, 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 I will always remember the, that era is such a, such a wonderful uh, time to be alive. So did you meet Everlast in New York or not till you moved to LA? No, I, I met him. We lived in the same neighborhood and we went to, um, you know, we, back in the, back in, in those days in the San Fernando Valley, which is like suburbia, if you're in a hip hop early on, there's a handful of white guys in the room with you and you see the same, you know, uh, same usual suspects at every jam, you know. Yeah. And so it was really quick. Back in the day, it's like three notable dudes Everlast, uh, DJ Epic from most notably people known from Crazy Town. But he had produced in high school, he was producing Belle Bib DeBoe and, and MC Search uh, solo records. And, uh, you know, him and Everlast were already making like real moves in high school record wise and so they were they were there were there was a few other kids that didn't really you know that were popping back then but you wouldn't know who they were now um so yeah it wasn't hard for me to you know to we we ran in the same circles and we were both b-boys at a time where very few white kids were were b-boys and then very few of the those b-boys were out like peacocking if you will like with their chest out at the at the jams because this is when like yeah, there was there, there was a lot of like 80s was still a lot of bloods and crips coming in the valley to these, you know, roller skating rinks that were no longer roller skating rinks. But they were only place that like you could have a hip hop show. So oh. they were always in like, you know, the, the one that comes to mind is Sherman Square Roller Rink uh, right across from the country club in, in Reseda. Um, at that time, I mean, it was it was it was gang. I, 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 the color shit was real. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we stuck out like sore thumbs being white dudes. So you really had to be thorough back then. Uh, it ain't like today where everybody can just, you know, I see kids in the, you know, and their families walking through malls with Ramon shirts on and suicidal tendencies. There. It's like <laughs> yeah. they used to spit down from the top level of the mall, calling us fags or calling us derogatory words that were like, and it was a rite of passage. We'll take whatever, you know, like if, if you say it to me, it's a problem. We'll fight. But how can I do anything if someone throws something off the, you know, just because the, the, the status quo was rock and roll if you're a white guy. And if you were into punk rock or if you were into hip hop or you were anything besides rock and roll, it could be problematic. And it was a rite of passage, you know. And so, again, a different world. And so Eric was not hard to spot. Uh, and it wasn't, you know, I, I, I recently had a conversation with somebody else about that. And, and we did a show. He did a he did a show at the Key Club. Maybe shit. It feels like just yesterday, but maybe five or six years ago where he went through all of his career uh, uh, and they were filming it. So he brought out somebody from every era and, you know, we did the house of pain thing and he introduced me as his first fan. And, and it made me feel some type of a way. Maybe it was a little ego on my part, but I was like, first fan. I feel like, yo, like I'm the first dude that like, we connected that we made a record that actually sold, you know what I mean? Like, and, and, but then I'm looking back, in my humility and i'm like you know what i what i probably was the first like fan. i'm not saying he didn't have other fans but i was the first fan that actually said hey i love what you do i think you can we can do other shit even better right and you know i i, I always uh w was enamored by his his ability to write rhymes and 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 you know 
all of it. I mean, I still, I was just talking to someone else about something and we were talking about graffiti. And I still got sketches that ever lasted from, you know, back in the high school days. And, and, you know, he was nice with it. I, there's no way to, you know, and I never take that from him uh, in that way. Um, so yeah, we, we got together at a time where the rhyme syndicate stuff that he had did had, had just didn't find its audience. And he was left, you know, trying to figure out what the next look was. Uh-huh. And originally house of pain started off as like a, a band, you know, we had, we had a, a few like days from another band and nobody was trying to hear that. This was in a, this, you know, 89, 90, no record label was trying to hear that you're either a rock band or a band or you're a hip hop act. You're not a band hip hop act. They were, they, there was not only no interest in that. I think they were like, even if you try to present that, they're like, stop, we don't even know how to put that to radio. We don't even know how to package that, like, stop. Like they're either in the hip hop world or they're in the rock world, you know? And so we we quickly lost the band and and you know made a few demos with a few uh producers until we ended up doing work with mugs and that's all eric you know that's eric's you know friendship with mugs from 7a3 and rhyme syndicate days but uh we definitely did two rounds of demos we did one with a guy named uh danny saber and then we did a second round with qd3 quincy jones's son and then we finally ended up doing the third batch with mugs and that was the perfect fit of you know those beats with with the style that we had uh right you know that eric spitting the way he spit and the irish shit that i brought and mugs's tracks was the perfect fit prior to those two uh i'm saying from my point of view that the qd3 tracks were dope but they sounded like the work he was doing for ll cool j on uh you know whatever it was 17 shots to the dome it had a little r&b flavor to it it just didn't wasn't Mm. hard enough uh and the the danny saber stuff was a little too bluesy rocky you know just you got to find that perfect fit and mugs was the perfect fit well this was like the party anthem i mean cypress hill was huge right like they were very instrumental in 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 the beginning i mean mugs came and probably connected all you guys is that right or no no i mean eric knew him from 783 so 783 was a band that mugs was DJing and on they were signed to Rhyme Syndicate as well, I think. And uh, so they had already, you know, they had already known each other. You got to remember, though, too, the Cypress Hill record was out for six months. and Nobody it, it didn't make any noise. And then finally they went back in and shot Killer Man video. And then all of a sudden it clicked for everybody like, oh, shit, this is this is like incredible stuff. We were on it like that, but they were already from my recollection, I guess it's going back almost 30 years now, which is is bonkers to think about that. But <laughs> so crazy. There was, I remember hearing that they were going to go back after six months of just like the record not popping and do a do a, a Spanish version. Uh, of the record to try to appeal to a different audience when it started to blow up again. So their record was out. It took it took off a little slower than they they anticipated, but once it caught fire, I mean, it was the biggest record on the planet. Uh, and ours, the six months of inactivity of their record was when we made ours, and so simultaneously, both these records were blown up, and they mutually like benefit benefited each other because if you weren't ready for Cypress Hill's trip, House of Pain would get you set up to to go on that trip, and if yeah. you love Cypress Hill, you're like, what else is in that in that wheelhouse? Oh shit, here's these Irish dudes doing. Yeah, right. so it was it was great. It was symbiotic uh, in the way that it was, you know, both of us were motivating back and forth to, you know, on our way up. So, yeah. And then you guys toured together and shit, too, right? Yeah. The Soul Assassin's tours were most you know, those, those were all sold out dates, man. Those that were, must those have been were, insane. 
Yeah, in that time, in that era, I mean, yeah, it was it was it was good stuff. So, I I, I have nothing but good memories about all that shit. But uh, you know, unfortunately, all that stuff came to an abrupt end a few years later. Um, the seriousness came in, you know, by year two. And by the second record, I was checked out anyway, as far as like, it just, I could feel that this thing was like going in a completely different direction. And so was my friendship with Everlast. It was just, you know, I, there's, you know, there's two sides to, there's three sides, actually, his side, my side and the truth, uh, mm. depending on how you're looking at this thing, you know, but uh, from my point of view, I just felt like I didn't think he, he, once we, once we got where we needed to get from the first record, he was like, all right, I got it from here. You guys, you know, I'll call you when I need you, which was not at all. And so I felt like after that, my input wasn't really, you know, it, it, except for an artwork and, and album titling, that was about the, the extent of what I did. And then, and just doing hype man shit. Um, but I felt at a certain point there was just like he was just going to do what he wanted to do he didn't care what we wanted to do it was a democracy and then it turned into to you know a, a dictatorship and i'm sure every band in the world probably has you know most of them have been through this and then some but for me i was like yeah we you know it was very clear from the start how we were going to split things up how we were going to do things and as soon as it was a success that those those slowly started to erode to Basically, like, this is what we're doing. If you don't like it, screw. And, you know, I, I put up with a lot more of that stuff in my mind than I should have. Um, and for, you know, I'm sure selfish reasons. It's selfish in the sense that, like, look, at I helped build this thing. And I'm not, I, I feel like I'm entitled to get what, what's coming to me. So if that means getting a little smaller to accommodate you needing more, then I'm willing to do it to a certain point. But there's a certain point where you're just like, bro, now you're getting a little out of line. Right. And so it got to that point, uh, you know, and I just there, you know, and then again, I, I, I in that era, you know, I was alive one and, and, you know, I probably was, it was a, you know, a, a, a not easy to get along with or not easy to be around. You know, I was always up to always pranking and playing jokes and fucking around and, yeah. you know, drinking a lot. I mean, and so, you guys you are know, partying hard right then. Right. I was drinking and then I started doing drugs. He was never really doing drugs. And, you know, he went through a, a phase with, with with religion and all this stuff. So he was on some oh. other trip. And I was just like, dude, I'm going to continue to be Irish. I'm going to continue to drink, fight and fuck. So, you know, <laughs> good luck with, with the, what you're doing. I probably looking back could have been a little bit more sensitive to his, you know, his spiritual journey or whatever he was on. Mm. But at that, you know, when I'm young, immature and I'm, I'm just like, yo, bro, like, Last time I checked, we're trying to do this thing over here. You know what I mean? And now you're over here and I'm not invited and I'm not even interested in any of that shit. I'm not interested in, in you know, the the he ain't, this just the shit he was on. You know what I mean? And sure. that being the religion of his choice. I wasn't into any religion at that point. You know what I mean? Or, or it, it, even at this point, that's not my, you know, like that's everybody's personal journey. So sure. when the when the music starts to reflect that and and the vibe starts to reflect that, it kind of alienated everybody else because we're like we're not on it like that. So at least for me, I'll speak for myself, wasn't on it like that. So yeah, it just was you know it was just getting away from any where we started. And uh, again, it is what it is. We're talking part, a big reason of why me and you are talking today is from the 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 the, the record we made back then. So I understand you know it's it's it'll be something that I'll always have to talk about as long as there's an interest to talk about it. And I don't ever mind talking about it, but it is, it is one of those things, man. It was a great ride. Um, I still have lifelong friendships going back to those days. This is also a testament to that because Keith is the reason why, you know what I mean? Yeah. We, we're hooking up and 
I would never change a thing because it got me to where I am now. Where I am now is, is in a place where, you know, looking back, there's some pain, but there's also a lot of joy and there's way more joy than there ever was the, the painful part. But uh, if I had a kid, which I don't, and he wanted to go into the, the record business or the hip hop business, I'd be like, you know, <laughs> you know, have a plan B, you know, and then maybe have some <laughs> other skills. My, to my own detriment, I didn't have a plan B. I never thought it was going to come to an end. And unfortunately, I believed in some of the bullshit I was, you know, telling myself and a lot of the shit that I was getting from hip hop, which is if this doesn't work out, I'll always go back to street life and that'll always be there for me. And technically that was always there for me. But that's a that's that that's that's foolish at best. Um, and again, you know, I love my freedom too much, but I spent a long time, you know, doing ridiculous stuff after House of Pain to try to make ends meet. When, and that includes selling drugs and using drugs and manufacturing drugs and mm -hmm. doing taking penitentiary chances, trying to because a lot of ego involved in that, too. You know, how do I go from House of Pain to working at Starbucks? You know, there's nothing wrong with working at Starbucks, actually. Get me a cafe latte. Any, you know, job that's a real job, it's, it's honorable to take that job. But what I did was, you know, my ego was up here. My my self-esteem was on the floor uh, and I get paralyzed by that. And so. I just go, fuck it. I'm just going to start self-medicating. And then in order to stay self-medicated, I'm going to start selling the same stuff I'm using so that I can continue to do what I'm doing. And I spent almost a decade in and out of, uh, you know, uh, drug addiction and alcoholism before I was, you know, able to uh, get sober. To get through it. Fuck. Yeah. yeah, it's been a, it's a, it's a whirlwind. It seems like uh, Keith mentioned that, uh, you may or may not have celebrated one of your birthdays right off Melrose with the likes of Guns N' Roses, Mickey Rourke, and some A-listers as maybe a possible party highlight. Oh, my friend! Growing up in Hollywood in that era, that was every night. I mean, you didn't have to wait for a birthday <laughs> for that shit. And that, that's part of the problem. And that was part of, I think, Everlast's problem with me was that I, I, I was doing all of that extracurricular shit visibly with all of those type of dudes on the regular. There were certain things, there was like some pro protocol and, 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 you know, a lot of them it, it were, you know, uh, those unwritten laws, but like I was out there wilding every night. I mean, that was, that was, and I think it offended a lot of the, the, the dudes in my peripheral circle who were a lot more reserved and, and, and they were stoners and I was an alcoholic, like, dude, if two different vibes. I'm out there yeah. like fighting and fucking wilding. And these dudes are smoking dope, playing video games, writing rhymes. It's like, dude, I've never, never professed to be an MC. You know, I'm a hype man. I'm a fucking visionary. I'm a creative director. I'm a, I'm, I'm the backbone of like, when you walk in a room and the dudes are looking at you funny, I got you. You know what I mean? Like we, we can fucking, we can deal with these dudes. And then as you get on and you do your thing and you, you don't need all of that. So you're like, uh, you know, whatever, whatever. But bro, that every night in Hollywood at that era was kind of like that because those people, everybody still lived in Hollywood. Nobody lives in Hollywood. Yeah. Nobody, you get money in Hollywood, you get the fuck out of there. You get the fuck out of California. Yeah. But you definitely don't live in Hollywood anymore. Nobody lives in Hollywood <laughs> yeah. anymore. You wouldn't want to. Malibu. Homeless people live in Hollywood. You know what yeah. I mean? San Francisco's looking that way too. I know. I don't want to say it, but I mean, I wouldn't, you know what? I feel like, you know, I came here in Tulsa three years ago and I didn't leave because I, I never, I never imagined myself leaving California, but in, in hindsight, I'm like, mm, that's like God doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. I came here, found a new life. And then every time I go back to California, 
It's crazy to me. It looks like uh, they live, the, the John Carpenter classic. <laughs> I have come here to chew bubble gum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubble gum. It's like dead cities. Every <laughs> underpass has like not only a homeless population, like a, they're like they're decorating down there. They're like openly defecating and 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 sh it's like, bro, there's it's like they, they like I don't know what it, it's like. It It's crazy, bro. It's crazy. So ironically enough, I experienced homelessness at the end of my using. My father was homeless when he was murdered. If there's a number one fear in my life, it's it's I have always have a healthy fear of homelessness for myself. And I know that nothing ensures that I don't become homeless more than my sobriety, because for me, it would be mental illness and, and treating it with with drugs and alcohol. Yeah. And as long as I stay sober, my chances go through the roof that that won't happen. I don't know that a lot of people are homeless strictly because of economics that's a, obviously a factor but there's very and maybe i'm wrong if i'm wrong you know i'm wrong but i i it's a, usually a combination of of mental illness and, and treating that mental illness with street pharmaceuticals yeah and yeah. institutionalized mentality when there's no institution that wants you if you're really not a you know like a, a criminal but you 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 don't mind going out and living under the 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 freeway underpass wilding out i mean so and politics play a big thing into that as well so absolutely but i i i, I yeah that that's always been a, a fear of mine and it will continue to be it's my motivation why i stay sober a lot of the times and it's also motivation to work keep working and and also save some of what i make because i i never want to end up in that situation there's no worse feeling than 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 i was faux homeless i was living in a warehouse uh with very little possessions in my life very little mental f faculties in, in check and godless and hopeless and that's a terrible place to be and again i wouldn't wish that on anybody right and i i only know that that how i prevent that is by staying sober which is you know a great deal for me how long has that been that you've been sober like 15 years yeah. or something right yeah i celebrated 16 years consecutively sober on april 15th on tax Damn. day which is ironic and it's not my first time i had three and a half when i thought man you know what drugs is my problem but drinking can't be my problem i'm irish there's no way and so i thought <laughs> well I, i'll just have a drink and i'll just i'll stay away from methamphetamines and i should be fine and within 72 hours of having that drink i realized that the drink was not what i was after it was not going to get me where i needed to go and i was right back on meth and it took about three years of downward spiral i ended up in that warehouse and i'm grateful that i ended up in that warehouse i ended up in that warehouse ironically it it, it belonged to a friend of mine's parents uh but i met this guy he was the product manager at adidas so while we were on top of the world Oli ostergaard shout out to him he really saved my life in that way oh, he he was the if you want if you were popping you were sliced alone or eddie murphy or cypress hill or house of pain or whoever name your favorite band in that era you go to Oli and Oli would bless you with adidas whatever elation head to toe for your toys whatever so uh -huh. i i was always cool with Oli. wasn't even like we we're best friends and a, and a, a mutual friend of, of mine uh sean b he hooked me up with Oli. he was working with Oli, and when i started to downward spiral it was ended up um, you know, homeless Sean actually let me in there and only approved it, but they took a real risk of me living in, you know, like there was a bathroom and there was a couch and I lived in their warehouse filled with like, you know, energy drinks and, and, and weird. They had a, they had a bar business and I wasn't even drinking at that point. I was, but I wasn't interested in their stuff because I was on methamphetamine. So, but 
I never put my head on the cement in that in that way. So I was faux homeless. Basically, I lived on a couch in a, in a warehouse. But believe me, it's as close as homeless as I've ever got. And it, 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 it yeah, I never want to get that point again. But every time they celebrate their birthdays, I'm always like, man, these guys saved my life, man. It's always a reminder when I when I see you know milestones on Facebook of, of both these gentlemen, because if it wasn't for them. Who knows where I would have been? You know what I mean? I was at that point, you know, and, right. Uh, where both <laughs> homicide and suicide felt like uh, viable options. I've been pondering both for a long time, uh, just in two different ways. So did that draw you to um, Oklahoma? Like what drew you to no, Oklahoma? No, no, no. So, so I get sober 16 years ago. I, uh, prior to getting sober, I had met some people that uh, I met this kid Slane in Boston, who was a, he, he, an incredible MC. He wanted me to help him. I'm like, bro, how can I help you? Like, I don't rhyme. I don't, I'm not even interested in this shit anymore, but I was so taken back by his skill sets and his, and his style. And he was clearly influenced by house of pain. And, and I was like, yo, like I'll do what I can. So I, I had a friendship with him and then I fell in love with what he was doing. So I tried to champion him. I brought him to lethal at the time. Um, and lethal had a deal with Geffen, he had a record deal in place so he could produce records and he had another kid. So I had two kids and he had one kid and we were trying to champion all three of these dudes. And we're like, instead of making three records, maybe we could make one record. And I thought, well, let, let me package this and let me help them with this. And we ended up, but you know, uh, making a few demos and, and calling it La Coca Nostra. And then Ill Bill from Nonfiction uh, came on board. And then uh, in the end, Everlast joined the group, which was also crazy. And, you know, we, we, we turned that group into something. And it was on that first tour in 2009 that it brought us to Tulsa, Oklahoma. I don't think we had ever come through here with House of Pain. And so I, I didn't know anything about Tulsa except for it, it seemed familiar to me. And, and it was weird that it seemed familiar that a place I had never been was like striking such a chord with me. And then it occurred to me like, oh my God, I think The Outsiders was filmed here. I think this is where the author's from. And then she wrote the book about this place. Cause I, I kind of got that from just the vibe here. And sure enough, I looked it up. I was like, oh fuck, this is really where it's from. <laughs> hey, you so are, we had, yeah. yeah, I was a huge fan. I mean, I grew up, I seen that movie at 13 and it's theatrical release in 83. And I was like, this is like my life in a different era, but with the, just as cool guys, basically I come from a broken home. I'm a latchkey kid. And the family that I don't have behind these doors where I live, I'm going to make out there. And I did with, you know, with how we do it, you know, that's, this was the appeal to hip hop early on for me. It was like, it was cruise. And it was like, if you're in yeah. a rock, you spend nine hours in your room trying to learn your pentatonic scales on a guitar isolated. If you're in a hip hop, you're out there breaking and graffiti and, and rhyming with a crew with dudes with like you, you, you peoples. And it's like a, a family. That's why I like gangs. I've like bike clubs. I like all of that shit, that brotherhood stuff. Um, mm. And so that movie was like the first one that was like at a 13 year old mind, that was still like cool enough for me to go like, dude, if this is the best life ever guess running around the streets with the likes of like Dallas Winston and those type of dudes rocking denim jackets, smoking and sneaking into the drive-in. I, I can live with that. That's that'll be cool. And yeah. I, I, Ironically, tonight I'm going to the drive-in that was used in the movie. They're celebrating their 70th anniversary and they're showing the outsiders tonight. Yes. So I'm going to sneak in that hole that's still there and then I will get in my car that I've already <laughs> pre-parked in there. But make no mistake, I'm doing both. I have never seen the outsiders there. I've been to that. I've taken oh, cool. many people through there to see it as a location, but I have never been here when they showed the outsiders for 
many different reasons. I was always out of town when they did that. So tonight uh, is the night. So I'm very excited to take my missus and go check out uh, The Outsiders for the umpteenth million time at the Admiral Twin Drive-In Theater. So that's, that's what amazing. I came here on tour. I realized that it was filmed here. I went looking for locations. I found the drive-in, the park that Johnny kills the Socian and the house. And it took five years for me to really get good grip on what was going on here. Uh, I started a hobby behind finding this house after posting the photo to Instagram, uh, Instagram to Facebook. I started getting all kinds of questions about, dude, where are you? I can't believe that house is real. What the fuck? And so every, every stop on the tour, I would go looking for pop culture locations, post a before and after photo, put the inf Intel on there. And this hobby began like this it made another crew. And I've got about 50 people that are online that actively Go looking for any type of pop culture locations under the Delta Bravo Urban Exploration Team banner, and you can find it on Facebook and Instagram. Huh. And uh, that's what we do for a hobby. We, you know, you'll be like, "Oh, LL Cool J's uh, Bad Album. Where, where was that photo taken?" And I will find out. Okay, that's his high school. Or I will contact the photographer, and he's like, "Man, I think we took that over here." And and then we go out when we're in that area and we look for it and we match it up. And this is what you we are. do. Same. And it all started here at the Outsiders House. So. After about five years of going back and forth on tours and road trips, I, I, I'd always make a beeline back for Tulsa, Oklahoma. And at year five, it was clear to me that if I came back year six, the house probably wouldn't be still standing because they were tearing down the side of town. It was It's in North Tulsa, which is like a low economic downtrodden side of town. And Habitat for Humanities was coming through there, buying up all the derelict homes, tearing them down and, and putting their homes there. And I thought that's awesome, but it wouldn't be awesome if they did not recognize that this is a national treasure and they shouldn't be tearing it down. And I started to really worry about it. So finally I got involved and we were able to find the owner and I made her an offer. And uh, before long, I was the owner of the house. And uh, I realized once I got here, I bought it sight unseen. I'd been outside of it before, but I'd never been inside the house. Once I got inside the house, I realized I had bitten off more than I could chew. And even though I only paid 15 grand for the house, which is incredible. Uh, there was about $150,000 worth of work that needed to, to happen to make this thing even, you know, uh, visitable. Yeah. And so I, I thought, well, shit, I'm going to turn this into a museum, me and my one poster, my big idea. And I asked for help. And uh, I often talk to kids, you know, I just talked last week to a Catholic school of kids. And I said, you know what? Uh, I used to be a terrified to ask for help and i said you know it almost killed me and i said part of it's ego and part of it's just fear of you know not knowing what to do and being scared to tell you that i don't know what to do and i said i hope you never let that get in your way because it took me almost 50 years to learn how to ask for help and uh now i have no problem if i have a valid reason and need the help i ask for it. there's no shame in that influence somebody for years i thought that was a shameful thing to do or an embarrassing to do like dude you don't have you don't know how to do drywall I mean, yeah. one dude would say, hey, grab that drywall. And then the other guy would go, grab some sheetrock. And I'm like, so which one? I didn't even know that there was a difference or what. So I, I, finally, it's laughable. I'm like, dude, I don't know what the fuck you guys are asking me for. <laughs> Just tell me what it is and where to get it, and I'll figure a way to get it. So I'm good yeah. at getting things. I'm good at collecting things. And I'm good at getting people to support and rally around things that I, that, that I love. And and that's what I did with House of Pain. That's what I've done with La Coconosha. That's one of the 20 other projects. And that's what I do with The Outsider's House. I love it. I explain to you why I love it. And if you feel the same way I do, I have a plan to figure out another way to save it. Are you with me? Or are you, are you not? And if you ain't high five, and you know, have a, have a nice one. And if you are, here's what I want to do. Figure, let's figure out how we can get it done. And so collectively, I've been able to do a lot of cool stuff. 
but this one is more special than anything else. I mean, House of Pain is what got me here as far as like why uh, there's still interest to talk to me about, you know, anything prior to, you know, five years all the way back to the 90s. But anything from the last five years forward, it has nothing to do with anything except for the Outsiders House Museum. When I walk down the street here, nobody goes, hey, there's that dude from House of Pain. They're always like, hey, there's that Outsiders House Museum guy. So yeah. for me, it's a great title. Uh, it's it's what I love to do. And I'm of service, man. I, you know, I, 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 I prayed for a new life when I got sober. And I think the first time when I got sober and got the three and a half years, I secretly wanted back my old life. And my old life is what ended me up in a in a in a 12 step program in the first place. And so I get sober and I try to recreate my old life, which failed in the first place. So I had to learn that hard lesson. This time I got sober and all I wanted was a new life, anything but what I had. And so while I dabbled in, in, in you know, La Coca Nostra and House of Pain tours and, and records, you know, and had a good time doing it in, in certain, uh, you know, instances, especially La Coca. But I mean, it's just not me anymore. It's, it's what I do moving forward is, is I'm the gatekeeper and the groundskeeper at this house called the Outsiders House Museum. It is the actual house from the film by Francis Ford Coppola, based on the novel by S.E. Hinton. It's a required reading to most seventh and eighth grade classes in, in, in America and in the world, actually. Uh, the author is still alive. She wrote that book at 15 and a half. She single-handedly Whoa, started a young adult. That. Yeah, she wrote it. She was failing English and got a D-plus in creative writing. It's never been out of print in 52 years. It sold more on the 50th anniversary than all the years combined, which is like mind-blowing. And she creates a category. So... I'm a hip hop guy. I can't tell you what the first hip hop record was. I know it's debatable. I'm a rock guy, like rock, like everybody else. What's the first rock record? It's debatable. I mean, you can, is it Robert Johnson or is it, you know, I mean, we can't debate the young adult book category. And what that means is the first time in recorded history that a young adult wrote about being a young adult for young adults was S.E. Hinton at 15 and a half at Will Rogers High School here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. She followed that book up five years later after having writer's block with Rumblefish. Coppola also bought that and wrote and did the movie behind that here as well. Uh, her And Tex was next. And Tex was also turned into a movie by Disney first before The Outsiders was. And then there was That Was Then, This Is Now, which was also turned into a movie by Emilio Estevez and his father. Damn. Uh, all to various degrees of success, but none greater than The Outsiders. Yeah. And my job is to tell those stories and to encourage people to find their voice or to, to, to realize that she wrote these books at 15 and a half failing English with a D plus in creative writing. And still she persisted and still she, you know, achieved. And right. nobody had told me those facts as a kid. I thought you had to be perfect. And I thought you had to have, you know, all the breaks to do stuff. And the outsiders is the perfect story, uh, you know, uh, really talking about the haves and the have nots and the, and the, the beauty of being from two different parts of town and still agreeing that you see the same sunset and what a beautiful starting place that that could be for anybody, whether okay. you are black, white, pinstripe, Republican, Democrat, Jew, Arab, whatever, whatever you think, there's so much strife in the world. And if we could start with just, Hey dude, let's start here with the sunset and, and agree that this is a beautiful thing that we're both seeing no matter where in the world we are. Can we agree on that and move forward together? You know, uh, yeah. and for me, it's as simple as that. I know it's a complicated world, but sometimes it could be as simple as that. Like it's a starting point. And for yeah. years, I didn't have a touchstone and a guiding, you know, the, my true north. And for me, it's this. And all I all I do is show up and make sure that this thing runs how it's supposed to run. 
I, I get volunteer help from so many incredible people here in Tulsa. This museum got built not for me. I, I, I was silly enough to buy it, dream big, and get the ball rolling. But, I mean, I had help from the, the, the people who gave me the most were the, the people with the least to give. And what that looks like oh. is people driving by saying, your lawn is up to my waist. <laughs> and me and my daughter will come cut that lawn after her soccer practice on Sunday. It's the only time we have, but we would love to do it. Can we do that? I said, absolutely you can. Or, hey, man, sure. I'm in the roofing thing. And I know that if, you, if, you don't, if you're not careful, that tree is going to fall and break through your roof and you're going to have a real problem. So I'm going to introduce you to a tree cutting guy and he'll probably do it cheap. And then when I start to talk, he's like, you know what, fuck it. I'm just going to do it for you. And so, so many mitzvahs, so many good acts of paying it forward, get this thing done. Uh, at the top of the food chain, S.C. Hinton is, is the, the author, is the number one um, benefactor and, 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 and cash giver to the project. I don't know how to say that. Right. Uh, Jack White gave us $30,000 after doing a show oh. here, and, and he loves Tulsa, and he loves the outsiders. And he's like, dude, you're 30000 from your from your goal. I want to get you to your goal. I want to give you 30000 from last night's show. I mean, my mind That's almost amazing. Blown. I'm a number one Billy Idol fan since I'm a kid. Billy Idol gave me a nice check. So was like, he said, Danny, how he goes, how you like in Tulsa and how's the house coming? I'm like, I love Tulsa and what house? I didn't even know he knew. He was like the outsider's house, mate. I go, oh, fuck, you know, he was like, yeah. He goes, I want to give you a little something. I said, you do? He says, I don't want to give you what Jack White gave you, but I want to give you a little something. <laughs> I said, Billy, I'll take what I can get and love it. And he gave That's me a That's amazing. So, Did any of the cast help out? Yeah. C. Thomas Howell uh, gave us the, the his hero's hoodie that he wore. Ralph oh, Macho he still gave had it? sneakers that he wore. Yeah. Ralph kept one of everything from every movie and he kept his sneakers. Dude, that's um, sick. Rob Lowe came by. Everybody's done something. They've autographed stuff that we auctioned off. They've come by and supported. We're doing an event uh, in August. See uh, Thomas Howell, Tommy Howell plays guitar and, and is a singer songwriter. And we're <laughs> going to have a, a yard, uh, you know, him play his show on the lawn and also tell stories. But we sold it out. You know, 150 people at $75 a head sold out in like three days, two shows. So it's like Brad. the demand is high here for anything outsiders. It is really the string that and the thread that connects this community together. And it is a beautiful place to live, especially in all of these crazy times that we live now. It's a, it's a simpler slice of America, and they really the opportunity is, is unlimited here if you're creative. Uh, I, I remember years ago, I said this often, and I don't know how that works in San Francisco. Maybe you once you go over the Golden Gate Bridge or whatever the bridge that connects like Oakland to San Francisco, like the dream is always to get to San Francisco and see if they'll, for me, and, and growing up in L.A., you grew up in the San Fernando Valley, and then if you could get over to Hollywood, and make it stick, you had a good chance. They always said that the odds were good, but the goods were odd. But if you were a poet or an or, or actor or a dancer or writer, whatever, right. you had a good chance of, you know, getting it to go. The, 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 there was opportunity for you there. And New York was no different. You know, I don't see that anymore. You know, every time I go back to L.A., it feels more and more like a Vegas version of it. It feels like being on the Sunset Strip feels like being on, on some strip in Vegas where everything is like, you know, million Zombies. dollar luxury condos. And yeah, just it's all touristy bullshit. And I don't know that you could have that bohemian lifestyle where you get affordable apartments in, a, in an area that, you know, like Melrose. We used to pay. I mean, it wasn't cheap, but it wasn't like it wasn't going to kill you to, to get an apartment. There. It was doable. 
uh, and there were other areas that were even more affordable. Eagle, uh, Eagle, uh, what is it? Echo Park and, and, and Silver Lake and all of the, you know, there were like little bohemian, like little vibes that you could get and still yeah. become an actor or, or, or a writer or an artist or comedian or whatever you're, if you were an entertainer or, or a creative, it was a hotbed for all of those dudes, you know? And now where is that? I maybe, maybe I'm just getting old, but I, I can tell you what, I, I, between the taxes, the red tape, trying to do business in California, the cost of living is through the roof. The, the, the I can't deal with the politics. I can't deal with them not dealing with the homeless crisis. Yeah, uh, same. I just don't know what, you know, I love the beach like everybody else, but I never went to the beach when I was in LA. I literally never went to the beach. I rode my motorcycle up PCH on the weekends, never went to the beach. And it's nice to have the beach. It's nice to be an hour away from the, from uh, any ski uh, snowboarding, but I don't snowboard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's like having options that you can't employ or you don't use anyway. So uh, yeah, I, I would love it if Tulsa had a beach, but other than that, I, I don't miss for anything. I don't want for anything. Everything I want is here. So. Okay, sick. Uh, we just watched the movie last night. Um, I'm I'm assuming you knew this, but Essie is in the movie with a cameo. Yeah. Yeah, I'm still trying to get her to give me that nurse's outfit. And uh, she still has it in her personal collection. And I'm hoping oh. one day to take the collection that I have. So my collection is now I have the largest collection of outsiders memorabilia from the movie or books from all. It's been translated in over 33 languages. I have books from all over the planet, all different uh, eras. And now yeah. my collection is into Rumblefish and text as well. So I've got behind oh. me, I've got old Matt Dillon's uh, wardrobe from Rumblefish minus his leather jacket, the leather gauntlet and the bandana. I know S.C. Hinton has the, the, the bandana still, so there's a good chance. But I need to I need to build a museum from scratch instead of the one we built is organic. It's it's authentic. It's the house from the movie. And it doubles as the, the museum that holds the collection of outsider stuff, if that makes sense. It's a museum in a in an artifact itself. My plan moving forward is to build a whole new completely from scratch museum where it'd be more immersive and interactive for kids. Yeah. Uh, and then to explain to them how important this little girl was and is and why you as a little boy or little girl could also be as impactful uh, if you find your voice and you don't let whatever the, the things that, you know, being, being a D plus student in that semester or that year didn't stop her from doing what she had to do to, to tell her story. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, it's an educational uh, uh, museum with a lot of Hollywood names and, and, and cool people attached to it. I mean, don't forget, Stuart Copeland did the soundtrack. It was the first soundtrack he'd ever worked on. And oh. it ends him up in a career doing mostly soundtracks and scores now. And so Cop Stuart Copeland was here at the height of his police fame playing his drums under the bridge while Mickey Rourke and, and Matt Dillon were acting out scenes just to get the, the, the cadence and the vibe down. So, and Coppola did both of the movies that I love, Rumblefish and, and The Outsiders here. So there's Coppola's hand in it. All of those actors, the Brat Pack, I mean, they're still relevant today. I mean, the, the reboot of, of The Karate Kid with Ralph Macho is bigger than it's ever been. Mm. You know, C. Thomas Howell still doing his thing. Rob Lowe still doing his thing. That Matt cast is all time, right? It's like, I mean, we, Tom we were like, what the doing fuck? His thing. Diane Lane's still doing his thing. I mean, and so it just keeps on keeping on. And now uh, there, there's a there's a Broadway musical in the works. Oh, and 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 possibly other other TV things that they're talking about. So and, and even if all of that dries up, which it, it won't, 
there's never a shortage of seventh graders rediscovering the story year after year who cannot wait to come to the house. They see the movie. They probably see it at the Circle Cinema where it was filmed or at the drive-in tonight. And the next stop would be the Outsiders House Museum where they get their mind blown. I mean, growing up, the only thing similar would have been to go to the Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory when I was a kid that would kind of match that experience that we <laughs> provide them here. And we do oh. it for 10 bucks. And so, I mean, you can't beat it. And so, yeah, so what does that entail? Like, you can go inside and then you have we, it? We, we we did every room that was in the movie to look like the room when the movie was filmed. So we've it was, it's a lot of smoke and mirrors. It's a lot of faux finishing and, and artists who came in and, and, and made the walls and the paint. And the, the everything looks like you walked into a set of the movie. It's in the actual room that it was filmed. We found a similar couch, a similar end tables. Uh, we, we built it back to spec. And then the rooms that weren't featured in it have all the collection in it. And then there's a uh, there's something behind it that have uh, our gift shop, more uh, of an exhibition space, you know, the facility, bathroom facilities and all that stuff. So it's two part. Uh, and so all the iconic stuff from the movie is in there. We have, again, uh, tons of, of, of wardrobe. We have books from all over the planet. I've got photos. I've got it's just you, ha you have to see it to believe it. I bought that house. I had no plan, no more money to spend. And I had one poster, uh, one outsider's poster. And and if I if I put a feather in my cap for any reason, it's because I was able to collect, you know, starting from a kid baseball card collecting to be, yeah. being a B-boy. Back in the day, if you were a hip hop head in the 80s, you had to go find that shit. Well, you couldn't go online. There was no online. You had to go to like to the swap meet to find a Kangle and Kazelles were over here and 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 Puma uh, Clyde's were on this side of town. And if you were, you know, and the records were over here, you just, it was a scavenger hunt. So I take that same, you know, motivation and I do it to anything I do, but the internet makes it that much more easier and, you know, having the budget to do it. But I, I, I go preemptively looking in places where other people don't look and I've been able to amass an incredible collection. And I also reach out to people who were in the movie and people who worked on the movie. And I, and I, and I tell them what I'm doing and what I'm looking for. And you'd be surprised if, you know, nobody goes as deep as I do in that area. But, you know, I reached out to people that work with the people and then they tell those people, hey, he's looking for this stuff and end up you end up getting gems that are Smithsonian worthy. So nice, dude. That's a, that's incredible. Fuck been an incredible trip for me, too, man. It's been a it's been a rebirth and a redemption story, man. I didn't you know, I didn't want my story to end with just House of Pain and then he gets sober. You know, those are great things. And most people never get those things. And so I, I don't look at those with like contempt i just go there's got to be more that i can do because yeah I've, I, I, and i'm not looking to get i'm looking just to to live and to give you know what i mean and to do something that people like it's worthy of their you know of their attention and so i found it and i i again i, I couldn't have found a better thing that suits me better and and makes me of maximum service yet it pays dividends to me in the same thing and that's that's the secret for me is to do what i love and i don't feel like i work a day in my life people love what I do and I love what I do. And so there's no, you know, everything just works out the way it's supposed to. And so I'm very happy with all of this, you know? And well, I found out about all this. Interesting enough, I was interviewing Wee Man and he said he bought a van out in, I forget where, but he drove to Matt Hoffman's and then Matt Hoffman was like, you got to go to fucking Danny boy mm -hmm. just bought this house. He's and he pulls up and Absolutely. he's like, Thomas Howe's there. The mayor's there. They're like, do it. And he's like, what? Oh yeah. It was great. People couldn't believe it. He was there and shit. It was, it was great. And, uh, 
he was a sport. I remember that he bought a sprinter van, like one of those really cool, like you could live in the jump off. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he, he shocked the crowd. Whoa, slow it down. We've had a lot of exciting guests, man, that come out of the blue, you know, uh, and hey. I had Greg Brady uh, last month come through. Far out. Tito Jackson came through a couple of years back. I've had, you know, from Jack White to Nashville Pussy to all the bands that come through playing, they all want to, they, they all want to see it. First, so yeah. I, I, I always have to stay on the radio. Hey man, so-and-so's in town. We want to, pop on by and, and it's tuesday at three o'clock and i just got in from wherever and i'm like all right i'll be right over you know and i get uh -huh. and I show them and so the, the the fan base for this thing is like it's insane because it's you know it, it, it's so multi-generational little kids like it and 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 people who worked on the film are still coming by you know in their 70s and do you guys offer tours or like maps or something of some of the other stuff in the movie? You know, we have it online. So there's the outsidershouse.com and you can find that there. We huh. used to do a bus tour and then COVID kind of knocked the wheels off that. Oh, yeah. uh, all pun intended. Uh, mm -hmm. We still have the bus. and But it was just a lot of, it, 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 clerically speaking, it was a lot of like moving parts. And it was just like scheduling it and how to schedule it. And then the bus to pick you up at the hotel and finding the drivers. And it just, and and it was, you know locals didn't want it because they know where all these spots are. And if they didn't, they just want to know where they are. They'll go see them themselves in the comfort of their own car. Uh, and then we don't have that kind of tourism here. It's growing, but it's seasonal. And so, you know, Tulsa is not like I couldn't keep the buses every weekend. Sometimes there was two people on, on a day uh, on one of the tours. It doesn't pay for itself. And sometimes it was overpacked on a, everybody wanted to do the three o'clock tour and I can only fit 14 people on the bus because anything over that is like a CDC license or CDL license or whatever. Yeah, I'm sure it was all this weird stuff. So I was like, you know, we had it. It was cool. We may do it again. But as, as of now, I think people want to go exploring Tulsa on their own. They can yeah. find that map online and then they just want to get straight to the heart of it when they visit us. So the bus is still there. Uh, people take photos with the bus all the time. And Dude, like, I love Ooh. that shit. Like when we went to Dallas, I went to where Bonnie and Clyde are buried. Like I, yep. I always check out shit. Like me too. It's my what's, thing, it, man. what's here. What's here. I need to find it. And like, just to see that glimpse, like you said, the Charlie and the chocolate factory of being Sadie. Like, what the fuck? Yo, you know, I went there too. I went to Munich to the, where they filmed it. The gates of that are still no there. Way. It's like a 150 year old, power factory in munich germany if you go on delta bravo urban exploration team put that in facebook and then look through those you're gonna you're, you're gonna be like what <laughs> i mean yeah i actually I'm went in. to the, the chocolate factory <laughs> when, when we're done i'll text you the photos anyway okay I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you yeah sick um well we always end with like a, a song that the guest picks you could we could play any song and also i wanted to know your favorite version if you have one of the song danny boy Wow, that's a great. No one's ever asked me that, and I'm gonna say, um, I, you know what? The only version I know is when Eric sings it. So it, oh. it, I, I don't like. You know, when it comes on, it's like listen you know, people, to the Pogues. The, well, I love the Pogues, Pogues and I don't even one. know that I've ever heard them sing "Danny Boy." So I'm gonna, I'm yeah. gonna definitely check that out. And there's nothing about the Pogues that I don't like, except uh. for that I, I need. I wish they were playing soon <laughs> and i need to see that documentary too i guess there's a there, there's a it's there's amazing a yeah shane yeah. mcgowan's life was fucked it's so insane uh, yeah i need to see that man and, and we did a show with him in in, in ireland once and then i remember oh. running into a it was a festival so he was playing that festival and then i saw him in the airport i mean i thought i was like <laughs> well, i thought i was bad holy shit you know? so he yeah. lived up he he lived up to the to the hype no doubt yeah. about it but definitely 
uh, a Pogues fan. So I will check that out. Um, and then what was the, the other song? Uh, no, you can pick a song that will just play to end the show. I'm going to go uh, the 80s by Killing Joke. That's my joint. Hell yeah. Fuck yeah. Well, <laughs> again, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, are you out there pretty regularly? Like if, if no, I live in Tulsa full time. I mean, I live in a oh. historic hotel downtown. I'm less than a mile and a half away from the Outsiders House Museum, so I can be there at any given time. Okay. And there's no traffic here. There's no rush here. We have the lot. We have the largest rideable uh, road left from Route 66. So there's a whole revival of that. We have Kane's Ballroom. It's the last place, the second to last place that Sex Pistols ever played, and all your favorites have played there. It's the CBGBs no of the Midwest, or to be like uh, Bill Graham presents uh, the Fillmore. Like all the shows at the Fillmore, imagine that's still, it's still here. It's okay. historic. We have the BOK Center, which is like the Staples Center or Barclays in New York. You get all the tier one acts here. Um, 35 different, uh, 32 mom and pop hamburger joints, all back from the from early as the 30s and 40s. To the, about the 60s so it, it's literally a slice of americana like before all the, the the dumb shit really it's like yeah it's almost like the land that time forgot and 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 it's we have the third largest uh collection of art deco buildings uh only se second and third uh, behind new york and and chicago so it's this beautiful city that that oil built up at the turn of the century and there was it was dripping in it and then it got shuttered in the eighties and now it, it's, it's back on the map and all of these great things are happening. So I feel like the smartest dude again, that left, uh, left this dog snoring. It's great. Um, <laughs> he's like, trying to tell me, Hey man, I gotta, I gotta get back to sleep. But uh, it's, it, it, yeah, it's the greatest, it, it's the greatest, biggest little city I've ever lived in. And I don't want for anything. I really, I thought, you know, I'll, I'll tell you this, Leaving L.A., my biggest fear was that, it, like, you can live in L.A. and the world comes to you just by default. And I was like, I like that because I didn't have to do much. I could just be there and people would always be coming through. Hey, I'm coming to Hollywood. I'm coming to L.A. Are you going to be around? And I was always, you know, giving them the tour. But as fate would have it, I came here and I found the same thing. People are always going to New York to L.A., driving road trips. And they always like, hey, I, I remembered you were there. Are you going to be there? I've had people stop by out of the blue from high school while I'm at the outsider's house sitting on the, you know, on the back porch. And they just sit down and go, hey, bro, long time. I'm like, holy. They're like, man, I took a chance thinking you were going to be here. And here you are. And so yeah, it's even more special. Best. So if you Fuck ever yeah. find yourself in Tulsa, Oklahoma, look me up. You know where to find me and uh, I'll give you the nickel tour. Dude, I'm down. I got a lot of friends uh, from Oklahoma. There's a good skate shop out there, uh, 91 Skate. And uh, after it. after the COVID thing simmers or whatever we need for this life to get back into full throttle. Yep. Yeah, if I cruise through, I definitely want to check this yeah, out. No it all speaks to me, man. I, I, I'm down. Yeah, you'd love it for sure. Well, um, thanks, dude. And stay safe. And uh, I got five years about 10 or 11 behind you, but, uh, big hey, man, one day at a time. Hey, yeah. That's all we got is today. And I, they, you know what? I, I lie. When I said I'd end with the last thing I'll end with this, like, you know what? I used to collect years and it was almost fatal to me. And now I just collect days. And so all we have is today. And right. my mistake was to, to, to break it into larger chunks. Today is the only thing I have yesterday's history. Tomorrow's a mystery. And if I worry about either one, I miss the beauty of today. So staying in the now staying present, is my number one like focus and when i do that everything works out so 100 agree congrats on the five man fuck yeah thank you dude right. very, very much a pleasure i appreciate it man be good or be good at it you Stay too
Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Schmidt. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. When you subscribe, you'll get notifications every Tuesday of new episodes the minute they become available. Also, please leave reviews and a five-star rating. It's the best way to help the show grow. All of the episodes will always remain free, but if you would like to help support the show, you can do so at TalkingSchmidt.com, where you can pick up some merchandise like t-shirts, beanies, hats, and stickers. The website has an entire archive of all of the episodes, with extra photos and videos. Email us with any suggestions, comments, or ways that the show may have improved your life at TalkingSchmidt at gmail.com. All interviews are conducted, edited, and produced by Schmitty. The intro music is Mary's Cross by the band Nature. A very special shout-out goes to the executive director, Cheryl Camisa. This is Talking Schmidt, where the Rolodex is deep, but the conversation is deeper.